So it sounds like this is the idea, William, and you are set on an app. This is it. Is that correct? That's correct. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is once again your time machine captain speaking. We apologize for the brief layover we just had of about a week, but we are happy you are joining us again, and we are going to be picking up where we left off in the second conversation from last week between William Wadsworth and Alan Donegan. So please buckle up, enjoy the flight, and thank you again for flying with Rebel Time Airways. Just three things I'd pick up on, Alan. Um, <laughs> I agree with a lot of what you're saying, and I, I share your instincts as well. Um, three specific things I'd just mentioned. One is that I also thought about, okay, what happens if it doesn't work? So what's my plan B? What happens if I get to April 2023 or sooner and it's clear it's not worked? I've still got a coaching business. Mm. I've still got a speaking business, You know, two freelance revenue streams that I'm enjoying. And by then, you know, we'll have continued growing the blog and, you know, my writer will carried on doing her thing. Maybe I'll have been able to grow her hours a bit more and maybe even there's another one by then, you know. So the, the blog will have carried on doing its thing and, you know, reinvesting the, the revenue from the blog back into more content. So I'll turn around in April 23. I've still got the speaking. I've still got the coaching and I've got a bigger blog by then just because time has passed. So plan B, you know, it's it's not a, it's not a disaster. Like it's, it's you know, it's all right. It's It's sort of where I am today, but with a bit of a bigger blog, basically. Um, <laughs> and a cool story um, about what happened that you can tell all the schools, we did this, I learned right. <laughs> this didn't work, here's how it should do forward. So actually, there can like any experiment inherently has value from the learning. Absolutely, absolutely. And I certainly spent, particularly my first fair share of year one doing this, doing experiments <laughs> that uh, gave me lots of learnings. <laughs> the second thing I was going to mention was that I... Do like what you're saying about the, you know, the platform I've got today being able to sell to people. It's not quite as easy as that because most of the people that listen to the podcast or visit the blog are students. It's always been a student audience. There are a few educators, a few teachers, kind of in in the mix, but it's quite a small proportion. So, so my audience is slightly misaligned with who would actually be the customer for this, which isn't a disaster. You know, I've got some thoughts, and maybe we can get into you know sales strategy a little bit um, if, if we've got time in a moment. But um, it's it's a it's a start. But I've still got a lot of work to do on that. The third thing is the best news of all, though, um, which is I've already sorted the developer point. Um, I was lucky enough to have a friend who's also just become a father and had packed in his day job running teams that basically build software for banks and was looking for interesting projects to do potentially in a little bit of an interim fashion before going back to full-time work. And he very kindly, well, not kindly, he very excitingly agreed to to partner up on this project. So we've gone in on it 50-50, equal partners in it. He'll look after the technology. 
I'll look after, as as you rightly said, <laughs> the the sales and and bringing in the the customers, um, and and also you know in, inputting onto to sort of product design. Um, so there's no debt, there's no money down. We'll both go into it. He'll build it. I'll try and sell it. If it doesn't work, that's fine, and we'll we'll walk away, and we'll still be friends, and no one's lost out. Well, you've answered nearly all of my objections, uh, <laughs> which I love. Okay, so. This sounds like it is time to do this test. What's stopping you from diving in with the two and a half days a week you've got spare? Is it giving up on the podcast? Do you need to talk about letting that go so you have all the time to do the app? Or have you already made that decision and there's something else stopping you going forwards? I think you're right that the podcast probably won't fit in the week anymore. Um, And and that's hence why I was saying earlier, I'm, I'm thinking that with a bit of a heavy heart is something I, I probably need to walk away from. I think I'm I think I'm getting comfortable with that decision. It's it's not something I do lightly and it's not something I like to do. But I think in terms of, you know, goodness, there's there's a huge archive on the podcast. There are lots there's lots and lots of great episodes people can go back and listen to. I've already got at least four planned for next year. Um so, you know, there's there's a little bit coming out from time to time. Um if you're a someone that regularly likes either listening to the podcast or reading the blog. There'll be plenty going on on the blog. So, you know, I, 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 I'm starting to make my peace with with cooling off a little bit on the podcast. I think what's holding me back is, well, I mean, to be more specific, the, the immediate step I want to take is writing to schools and in particular, the role in a school that is in charge of teaching and learning. So the role, job title is usually assistant headmaster for teaching and learning or deputy head academic or something like that. I already know a few of these individuals because they tend to be my clients for the speaking work. And so that's good. I've, I'm off to the races already. I've got the first one <laughs> um, on the hook for participating in a trial in the spring, which is which is kind of, I think, our next step. So, my friend, my friend Matt, who's who's, who's building uh, building the technology. Um, you know, we're aiming to have that ready in the new year, and we want to just try a very simple version of it out in a small number of partner schools for a, for a few months, uh, and just kind of learn how it goes in reality. Get some feedback, figure out what's wrong, fix it before we kind of go and, and sell to a wider pool. So, I've got one school. On board, that's sort of interested in in participating in that trial already, which is good. That happened two two nights ago, so it's quite fresh news. <laughs> um, to be to be candid, like I have had a mental block about doing proper outreach to either the schools I already have relationships with, or schools I don't have you know warm relationships with, and asking them about the app for you know quite a while now. I could have been doing this two months ago easily. If you look back at my to-do list from six months ago, so even before my <laughs> developer map partnership came on board, I, I had visions of you know reaching out to schools and putting the app in front of them at that point, and um, you know I, I didn't do it. I, I've sort of been procrastinating on it for yeah, a, a really a very long time, and I think there's maybe a couple of reasons for that. One is the whole thing about you know the dream, uh, you know the dream at the moment exists of a world in which this can be very successful. And then there's, there's, I suppose there's a nervousness that once you start to ask real clients, 
do you want this? Then some of them turn or enough of them turn around and say no. And then you start to think, you know, your, your, your lovely fantasy about this future of where it's successful starts to, starts to crumble. So as long as you put off asking anyone, do you want it? <laughs> you can kind of keep your fantasy alive, which is, which is all lovely, but not very helpful to anybody. And then maybe the second thing is just that um, a lot of the schools I know now first knew me as a researcher. A, a big thing I did in my first year was, was, kind of do quite a big piece of research within schools around the kind of my subject matter, which is all about helping students study smarter. So I was asking students all about how you study. We surveyed about 30,000 students from a whole bunch of schools across the country. And one of the reasons I wanted to get in touch with wanted to do the survey was as a nice way to start to make contacts at schools that could later lead to, you know, commercial relationships. And quite a lot of schools that I approached um, to be part of this research were initially quite standoffish and were saying, oh, you know, oh, uh, we, we thought you were just going to try and sell us things and quite defensive. And then they sort of relaxed and let their guard down when I say, no, no, it's, you know, you don't need to pay anything to be part of the research. It's all free, you know, and I'll, I'll give you a breakdown of the data. You know, it's all, a, you know, it's all academic work, which it was. Uh, and that was, that was, that was true. But it, it's sort of, I think that's, I sort of maybe got a little bit spooked in a couple of those conversations and that nervousness about, you know, just how defensive some schools were about sort of being sold to um, has has perhaps rubbed off and, and stuck with me. So I think those are probably the two two main things. There's a lot there to think about and I love it. So it sounds like the next step is to actually pitch the idea to the schools. As you probably know, my biggest thing is never build something until you've sold it. That's my entire entire principle is stop creating stuff that we don't know if anyone actually wants. And you're exactly right. I think that's what generally people do is they're like, well, if I don't know that they don't want it, then I can pretend it's a good idea. I believe so many people do that. And I've done it in the past too. But you've been looking, the whole frame of reference that you've put on this is return on investment return on investment of time as an entrepreneur. If you're about to embark on a six-month-long project to create an app, wouldn't you like to know if anyone wants it first? I think I'm, I am totally – so it's quite interesting. I, just just briefly, like I'm totally sold on the sell your value before you create it. I I try and do that wherever I possibly can. Like I never write a presentation before I've sold it. I, I, I launched a new book this week. Like it's not it doesn't it's not actually finished written being being written yet. I've just done the pre-sale on Amazon. I've handed it over to an editor two hours ago. Love it. We'll get it finished by the time it's supposed to go live. It's not a problem. Um, so I'm I'm completely on board with that. The only so my my Guy, my friend Matt has started building it. The only reason he's done that, and it was against my counsel, <laughs> um, was just that he's he had excited. time on his hands and his view. Kind of, he's he's excited to build it, and you know what? Like, he's a kind of he's interested. Part of the, his reason for doing the project is he wants to learn the skill. He's kind of interested in learning the skills. Like, having done the project, then lets him go and show it off to other employers, even if it's not a commercial success. You know, he might just release it open source or something. You know, if we don't get customers for it, mm. and for him that would still be a really good outcome. So he's kind of gone off and started to do his thing. That wouldn't have been the way I'd have done it. I'd have absolutely gone and made sure we'd got a handful of schools at the very least on board and saying yes we will be part of the trial and you know my idea is we will they will pay us a nominal fee to be part of the trial because it's quite a valuable product even in in sort of trial mode and you know as a thank you for that kind of early support then they'll get you know very preferential rates 
as customers for the rest of their lives when when we kind of put the product into 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 proper you know into proper service is there a reason you want to sell to schools not students or parents i think there's a couple of reasons one is just my experience of the way i articulate the value of what i teach resonates better with teachers because they kind of understand education better and um, when i sell my workshops to schools i i typically you know either in the sales process and certainly after i've actually gone and delivered a thing like teachers will turn around and say oh you know this is a lot better than i'm not the only provider that does revision technique talks in schools and you know typically they'll turn around and say oh you know this stuff is a lot better than what most other people are doing and i can articulate that in a way that schools understand i have historically struggled to articulate that in a way that parents and students understand as mm. much i can i can kind of make it work for coaching um you know parents and to an extent students kind of understand you know the value of paying a really good tutor for help in a certain academic domain i can kind of stretch that to well okay if you need help with your study skills and preparing for exams you know i'm your guy you know I'll give you some one-on-one -on -one support. We'll get it right for you. You can kind of make that sale, sale work for, for parents and students. But I've sort of, I've historically, you know, I've tried to sell workshops to parents and students in the past and struggled. I've found it, I found it hard. But for schools, I, you know, I can, I, I, I've been successful. I've also got the relationships. So I've got, I've got not a, not a, not like a lot of relationships, but I have some relationships that are warm and that are receptive to this sort of thing. And there's something about the way the product is designed as well that makes more sense to sell it to a school. There's, I th I th the kind of unique bit is about how it sort of integrates like what the teacher's teaching and what the student is practicing in their own time. And so like, it does make more sense for it to be led by a school. It also means I need to sell less. Like, <laughs> if I sell to one school, like that's the equivalent of getting 100 parents or 100 students on board. You know, like I don't need to sell so much. You know? I love that. Yes, and I'm a big fan of that approach. Okay, so what's actually stopping us ringing the people you know and find how many people do you need for the trial like five schools 10 schools yeah i want about five so what's stopping you ringing the people you know and telling them what you're up to is it the language to use when ringing them do you not know how to start that conversation so i've already got the first and that came because we'd done a really good we did a uh, done a webinar for them uh, a couple of nights ago off the back of that, they emailed saying, that was great. I emailed them back saying, thanks so much. Real pleasure. By the way, are you interested in, and I you know, told them about what the, the project for next term, and they said, yes, let's talk in, in the new year. So that was kind of taking advantage while the iron was, while the, mm -hmm. you know, striking while the iron was hot and the relationship was as warm as it was ever going to yeah. be right off the back of a, a successful presentation. Best time um, to I make a sale is when you've just sold. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 I don't, you know, I don't always get that golden golden window to walk through. So, so how do I do it at other times? It's interesting you're talking about calling. I've generally struggled with calling uh, schools because getting hold of particularly senior leadership in schools it's and getting difficult. them on the phone, yeah. you know, they're so often in classes or in meetings. And I had this when I was trying to get schools signed up for the survey project I mentioned back in year one. I did a lot. I tried quite a lot of calling, cold calling. And I also tried quite a lot of cold emailing. I don't think I had a single sign up off the back of the cold calling, but I did have off the back of cold, even quite, even completely cold emailing. So I think, I think it's about writing emails rather than making calls. In terms of writing the emails, so I don't think I have a block, like I think I'm going to be fine to email like the four, the three or four 
schools I do a lot of work with. I don't think that's a problem. Um, I'm not. I'm not too worried about that. But I probably need to widen the net beyond those kind of three yeah. or four really good clients. Um, and the next logical place to look are all the schools that took part in this survey but haven't used me a lot for presentations and, and talks. I, I gave a you know a, a pretty good hint as to what some of the blocks might be for them. Like a lot, I'm worried a lot of them kind of see me as a, a sort of researcher, a bit of an academic, and like you know I am. That's definitely a hat I wear. But now I'm kind of wearing a different hat, and I'm you know this this guy that develops cool and interesting tech solutions to their practical challenges and charges them money for it. And uh, I think that kind of pivot is is perhaps where I might be getting a little bit stuck. And let, let me kind of run an approach past you. So, you know, I, I just made a few notes before we talked and you know, I was thinking along the lines of you know, something along that. So again, a lot of these contacts haven't heard from me for 12 months plus now. So I haven't done a particularly good job of keeping them warm. Um, we had quite a lot to do with each other during the survey, and maybe one or two of those have you know, used me for an odd workshop down the line, but not regularly. And most of them haven't heard from me for the best part of a year. Um, I'll need to remind them who I was. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> um, it's me. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is what we did together. Um, you know, maybe mention a couple of the, the kind of key takeaways from from the research we did, and then use that as a as a platform to to kind of uh, get into talking about the the problem as I see it. So, you know, part of what we found in doing the research was was this kind of clear need to to help students in their their kind of memory consolidation throughout the year. And um, we've addressed that in a couple of ways. One, I've done a lot of work on the podcast to um produce, you know, free content explaining uh, how to how to study well, interviewing kind of leading scientists um as well as doing kind of my own episodes, you know, here's where you can find that free resource. Um but we didn't feel that was enough, um, you know, just to tell students what they should be doing. Uh, like we felt there was a a real need for making a this kind of a technological solution that that kind of integrates what teachers are doing and what learners are doing in a way that that kind of no other tool does at the moment. We're developing this at the moment, and we're looking for partner schools willing to help us test it uh, in the new year. I love the approach. I see it as you could do this in two phases. Phase one give them something for free and reintroduce yourself. So send them the first part of the email. We did the research together. It's the key findings. We've addressed this. I've been actually working on this and this is the podcast. It's completely free. Will you share it with all your students? Like it's directly designed to tackle this for your students. Please share it with all your students. Email back. Let me know if you're comfortable with doing that or not, or what your thoughts are. And like start the conversation around that. Give them something for free. That will start some conversations, do some bits. You can also say you've been selling coaching one-to-one to to the students because that's not selling to them and you've learned a lot from doing that. And then that starts a conversation and then maybe a week or two later you can go back with, okay, like they now have had an email that reintroduces you. Then you can go back to them and say like the new project for next term, I still want to fix this issue that we discovered in the research. And I think this is my idea. This is my big idea. I'd actually like to know what you think, whether you want to email me back, whether you want to have a quick chat on the phone and tell me, or whether you just want to say yes and be part of the trial. I'm genuinely interested in what you think because I want to fix this problem and help students. I think separating it into two will give you a better chance of having positive responses. Given that long time that's elapsed. Exactly. Just 
I guess, warming them up before asking for the thing I'm really interested in. Exactly. <laughs> Offering them some value, warming them up first. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, because like you're more likely to help someone who's helped you than you are to help someone who you've not heard from for a year and just come straight in with an ask. So that would be my approach is to offer value first. And then you're even offering value in the second one, but it is also a partial ask as well as offering value. So I would look to warm that lead up to create that connection. Yeah, like in the first email, you can even ask them, like, what other free resources do you think the students need? I mean, there is another thing I could ask in that first email, which is like I've been I've been toying with the idea of of rerunning the the survey, the research we did in 2019, um, f- for a couple of reasons. One, the idea was always to publish, to scientifically, you know, properly publish it, and we didn't do that. That was mainly on me because I got horrendously distracted by COVID and my sort of business falling apart a little mm-hmm. bit at the time, <laughs> and um, and and then subsequently, you know, family and you know, I'm now at a point where I can that that could be an option to to rerun it again, and that would probably make a, a better bit of science. So we can sort of see the the two year progression of how things have changed and Ooh, evolved. What a lovely report so, that would be. Yeah. So I mean, it could that first email that could be we're planning to rerun this piece of research would you would you like would you be interested in participating again as, as well as offering the you know the, the free resource yeah you could allude to that and like you don't have to have a yes or no this is what i'm thinking and then say like this is what i'm thinking just to get an initial thing and like share the podcast with all your students i think that's a great idea absolutely great idea hello ladies and gentlemen this once again is your captain speaking We are happy to inform you that over the next 40 minutes, we will be descending back into our normal timeline as we move into our last conversation between Alan Donegan and William Wadsworth. We thank you once again for flying with Rebel Time Airways, and we hope you buckle up and enjoy the rest of this journey. So we have another time hop for this episode as William's internet ditched us yesterday. So we're back a day later and that has given William some time to think about what we were talking about yesterday. And he came back to me with a fabulously structured email. For those of you who listen to the podcast regularly, you know I am such a fan of a bullet point list that says, here are the top three things I want to talk to you about that we can tackle that kind of thinking is so important. And one of the expressions I used to talk about in my presentation skills course, uh, there's a guy called Pascal Blaise that said a long time ago, he was writing a letter to a friend and he said, sorry about the length of this letter. I didn't have time to write a shorter one. And actually structured thinking is really takes time effort and is difficult to do. So I appreciate it hugely when we get to that. So you all know where we were yesterday. We were kind of getting to the point that William's going to launch an app. The target market is schools. And how do we get it out there? What do we say to them? What's the timing of the emails? And am I offering them a free trial or a paid or what are we doing? That was kind of where we are. And I think At the end of the episode, I was just about to launch into, here's how I would do it. And we got cut off. But let's go back to the discussion on the strategy for rollout. 
Because that's what I think we're really talking about is how are we going to get the schools interested? How are we going to roll it out and get the first people testing it? And where do we go from there? That's, I think, what we're essentially talking about. Absolutely. Sounds, sounds good to me. And just before we dived in, you did send me a paragraph about developing an app because I think my initial reaction to apps, <laughs> you said in the email you were kind of expecting my reaction. Was that true? A little, a little bit, yeah, a little bit. Um, I mean, I, I'm look. I mean, I listen to Rebel Entrepreneur a lot, and as you know, Alan, like I've, I've sort of been uh, consuming some of your your wisdom since since before the podcast <laughs> as well. And you know, one of the things about the way a lot of people approach apps, and I think this is perhaps where you were coming from with your instinct about, oh gosh, no, that's a bad idea, or not a not a, not a great idea, um, is. You know, people either go into debt and take out big loans that they perhaps can't afford or it's risky and, and a bit scary, and they end up sort of under the cosh and working for the bank. Or, and I've seen this happen a lot, and, you know, a lot of you know people that might be outwardly considered to be being successful as entrepreneurs, you know, they take investment and they'll go to investors and say, I've got this idea, you know, please support me, please back me. And I've got friends that are doing this and you know, building fabulously successful and large businesses. But for me, I've always felt that having those outside investors, you're still kind of giving away your freedom in a sense, because now you're working for them. And in a sense, they are calling at least some of the shots and, you know, investors are going to want their money return, you know, their returns maximized. That might not necessarily always align perfectly with what an entrepreneur wants. At some point, an entrepreneur might say, you know what, profits are sufficiently maximized and what's important is my work-life balance or you know making customers really happy or kind of exploring these new innovative creative things that give me joy so i've always been really against both debt and kind of the investment route and as far as possible if we can pre-sell and, and raise the money up front or as i ended up being able to do uh get you know get get someone on board who i can sort of partner with to fill in the skills i don't have uh that just seemed like a much healthier healthier and more fun model for me, that's the genius way to do it. So I'm all on board with this model. I think the traditional way of doing it is to come up with the idea, develop a pitch, get investors, build it, scale to a massive number of clients, and then exit for a decent amount of money in five to 10 years. And yeah, that is one way to get to financial independence. It's one way to achieve it. I also think it's worth saying there are many different routes to build a business and it depends on what you want exactly as you said, whether you want work-life balance, whether you want crazy work for a period of years with hopefully a big exit. There's many different ways to do it and I'm a big, big fan of investing sweat equity or effort rather than other people's money or debt. So I love the way you're doing it. I'm all on board Let's make this happen. So the launch of the app, we want to sell to schools. We want to get it out there. You've got a certain number of schools that you want to get on board. My mind is now thinking about the launch in phases. Uh, yeah. Obviously, I'm a Marvel fan and they have phase one, phase two, phase three. What I'm seeing in my head is phase one is we've got a partner school and they have a cohort of students that test the first thing. And maybe it's one school, maybe it's two school. That depends on your bandwidth, what you're doing. Then I'm thinking phase two is, okay, we've got feedback from the school. We've got feedback from the students. It works. 
people are happy, it's improving results. And ideally, your first partner school will actually give you the results, because I know a lot of what you're talking about is the A-level GCSE results and the grades. And what would be fascinating is with that partner school, can you actually strike a deal where you can prove statistically for once and final, look, this app, before the app, they got this results on average. After the app this year, they got these results. And that that's going to sell it to every school in the country. That's what you need. Now, that's probably a slower approach because you've got phase one, get the partner school, phase two, evaluate the program. And then you've got phase three, which I'm going to call sell the shit out of it. That's a polite term in business. Um, <laughs> but you kind of know what I mean, I think. That's kind of what I'm seeing in your head. Is that what what you're seeing? Because I think from your emails that you were writing to these schools, I think you were looking for a wider take up of schools for the very first version. So I think you're right. Those are exactly the faces in my head. <laughs> You've articulated them beautifully. And absolutely, all that thinking about getting the getting the data getting the evidence that this works is key for this this first phase we're, you know we're calling it mvp minimum viable product so just having the bare bones it'll probably look a bit ugly I, it'll be clunky i but but it will work in the way it's intended um and just have the minimum functionality get that out into some schools in the next over the next, well, the next term or the next semester and just try it out. And we'll probably have to change things on the fly because they're not quite working and we'll fix it and go again. And But yeah, absolutely. Collect that data, see how it goes. I'm aiming for, in my head, I'm aiming for five schools for this phase rather than one or two. And that's partly because when I say I want a school on board, I'm being quite specific about the scope of what I'm doing for a given school. So I want to target one subject, one exam, and have because there's quite a lot of content that goes into the app as well. It's not just a tech platform. There's also content oh, okay. and the subject questions. So go after one, basically one department. Uh, you know, one cohort, one year of students might be in a given school might be fifty or a hundred students. One of their subjects that that we're trying this out with for MVP. Okay. So I was thinking of going for hence maybe slightly cut, slightly wider, maybe kind of more like five, six, four, five, six of those uh, partner schools. So you would need five biology cohorts or five physics cohorts or whatever the subject is. Was actually biology that I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> Freaky. I know. I just chose that one off the top of my head. Uh, okay, cool. So five biology cohorts. And so I think I was having a discussion yesterday with someone who was running a business and talking about the number of clients they wanted and they were planning this giant marketing campaign and build up a mailing list and send out the emails and all of this stuff. And I'm like, how many customers do you need? And they said five to 10. I'm like, yeah. well, why are you doing all that stuff? So my thought to you, William, is why are you planning all this stuff if you only want like three to five schools? Don't you know three to five people you can ring? I probably know three or four that, you know, I, I will just send those emails and I don't need to really worry about it and we're in touch regularly and it'll be fine. But I'm both prepared for the eventuality that I won't get 100% take up with those really, really hot clients. Um, and also, you know, if it's more like 10 than five, that's a good thing. You know, we can absolutely handle 
10 scores in the trial. And if we're more like that number, it's better for lots of reasons. Uh, okay. you know, some may fall by the wayside in the trial. Uh, yes. Some may be better at kind of just getting like, you know, embedded in their school than others. Some may be a bit dragging their feet and it kind of just clunks a bit. Uh, so having a bit of having a bit of margin for some to not quite pull through, as well as just the fact that, uh, you know, from from the perspective of getting the data, if it's more like you know, five to 10 rather than one or two, that's a much more convincing story because there are so many different kinds of school and different circumstances. And, you know, just having one school's worth of data, you know, you could write that off as just, you know, just being a kind of a fluke or it just so happened. But by the time you're turning around and saying, look, there's, there's 10, you know, that, that will be much better. So I kind of don't want to limit myself to one or two or even five. You know, if it ends up being 10, that's, that's, that's cool. So um, there's no extra cost to that. There's no extra minimal time, energy, minimal. effort. Because yeah. the biggest challenge that I see, and I hate like when someone says this, but I think it's important to think about a few of them. The biggest challenge I see is that the biology teacher isn't bought in. The head, the leader of learning and development says this is a great idea. They pass it down to the biology teacher and say, do it. And the biology teacher is like, what the... I'm busy. Leave me alone. I've got kids. I've got this. Yeah. I've got that. Yeah. I've got marking. Leave yeah. me alone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think there is a setup where you really need to have the buy-in of the people. And I think we'll come back to fee or paid, but if you're doing this, sorry, free or paid, if you're doing this for free, we need absolute buy-in and commitment. I'm going to help your kids improve their results and we're doing this for nothing here's what i expect from you and i do have expectations and there will be a cost in terms of making sure this is implemented talking to the students within the classes following through and helping us collect the data at the end and if it doesn't work that's okay but i want to have given this the best shot and i am investing a huge amount in this project and if you're going to do it with us, I want you to invest a little bit of time and energy to make sure it goes through. So I think there's a, a very important expectations chat up front. I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Um, I think that's absolutely right. And it's I, I I mentioned you know there's maybe four or five at best very 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 warm clients uh, I, I work with, and I wouldn't expect them all to, to, to land with all of them for all the reasons you've just articulated. So I might get one or two off the back of that. And then my next group are sort of maybe the next 40 or so people who, you know, have worked with me in the past and sort of done research with me in the past. You know, that next bucket of 40 is kind of what I was going after with the um, emails I was trying to trying to draft overnight. You know, how would I reconnect with those, that kind of warm-ish, but getting quite cool now <laughs> um you know get get those those 40 or so warmed up again and, and and so i'm in a position that i can put it in front of them as well as just that kind of handful that i'm in touch with day in day out okay so i like the first email so we talked about this yesterday we've actually drafted it so the first email basically says we're going to rerun the census that we did on student learning and here's a free resource that we based off the last one uh, free resources for you. Do you want to be involved next year? And I really like the bit where you go, here's all you need to reply. One, yes, I'm in. Two, maybe. <laughs> or three, no, nah, not for me. And I really like that. I think it's worth closing the email again with that. So yeah. for those of you listening to this, 
the last sentence in an email has to be, here's what you have to do. Otherwise, they'll read the email. And if the action that you want them to take is embedded in the middle, they get to the end and they've almost forgotten what they have to do by the end. I know I do it. I read down the email, think this sounds great. What do I have to do about it? And then you almost have to read the email again to find the action. So it's really important if you want to improve your close rate and it actually close rate <laughs> means like just people replying. It doesn't matter whether they close positively <laughs> or uh, for us negatively, but having that action right at the bottom will make a huge difference to the people responding. So I really like that email. I think the second one, and it's a shame we can't show the audience both emails, um, <laughs> but the second one felt less direct, William. Okay. It felt sort of more back to the census, back to what we're doing. Something a bit crisper. Yes. Yeah. The first email definitely sort of goes straight into the census and the tools, and it's very clear what it is. You have got the question at the end of the second email, which is, can I send the summary of what we're working on? Alternatively, or in addition, I'm really happy to fix a call to discuss further. I think that's great. Yeah, I'm wondering if we can just reduce it to make it a little bit easier. I don't know if you get this, but when I'm looking at the emails in my inbox and I get one that's two paragraphs long, I'm like, great, I can read that in under two minutes and reply, yes, no, maybe, and I'm done. When I get an email that's like further than the preview pane window... <laughs> And it just keeps going with paragraphs. I look at it and my heart sinks and then it gets stuck in my inbox because I'm like, I should respond in kind. I should like give energy back, but it's just too much. I'm too busy. <laughs> and that's terrible to say out loud. But I think everyone feels that to a certain extent when they see long emails. Have you ever had that experience? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the shorter and crisper we can make email to, the better. And if it can be like just two paragraphs and then that lovely close of, would you like to see the one page? Would you like to have a call? Uh, I'd love to know more. And, and all they've basically got to do is reply saying yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a great email. So the learnings for everyone listening to this, I think, are shortness. I like the word crisp. I love the word crisp. Short and crisp uh, with a clear call to action right at the end. And you can have like a sort of pre-closing thing in the middle, but it still must be repeated at the end. Otherwise, people are going back into the email. So that really helps. And then I see no reason why you just don't send those out to the 40 plus schools that you've got that you are interested in working in and go for it. No reason at all. Yeah. No, that's that's the plan. Um, that's that sounds good. I think definitely tightening up that second email. Uh, that sounds good. I will I will do some work on that and um, yeah, adding in that call to action at the at the end of the first email. Uh, just make it clear uh, just before the sign off. Yeah, that sounds that sounds great. Um, yeah, in terms of in terms of timing and getting these out, it's um, we're we're recording in. On, on December tenth, um, and Christmas. It's, I know Christmas is just around the corner, which is uh, which is very exciting. Um, but it also means uh, the end of term is basically about now 
or next week for for most UK schools. And like every teacher I know is just either kind of zonked or crazy busy with writing reports and all the end of term busyness that comes uh, with a life as an educator. So my my kind of strong instinct is sending these in January, but. I don't want that to be just another excuse to kind of put it off. Um, so my my cunning plan here, Alan, was to hit send on them now, but use Google's funky little feature where you can click send, but tell it to actually send, you know, on January the 10th or whatever the date is. So you don't need to think about it again. It's already gone, but it will just delay that send um, until a more appropriate time for it to land in the in the inbox. Let me tell you a little story before I give you my thoughts. And the story is back in the days when I was doing telesales, no one wanted to make calls on a Friday afternoon because people said, oh, you know, everyone's busy at the end of the week. They're all packing up, blah, de, blah. They had all these excuses to make calls. And I actually got into making calls on a Friday afternoon. And I remember one of the first calls I made, I rung this guy and was like, hello, how are you? I'm from this. And he's like, how are you? And like, happy Friday. Are you ready for the week? And we had a really good chat for like 10 minutes. And I think he was like quite pleased I was distracting him <laughs> from what was going on in his world yeah. with a good chat. My experience of Friday afternoon calls was some people were too busy and some people were glad to receive it. And I don't think there's a right or wrong answer in sales. You just need to do it. Now, there is with emails, you don't want to do it at certain times because it'll just get lost. Like you wouldn't want to send it on Christmas Day because it will be lost in the 150 emails they got waiting for them when they get back on the first day of whenever the teachers return. However, the first email is about, here's the free resource and do you want to think about the census in 2022? You could remove the closing aspect of that email and just have, here's the free resource, happy Christmas. And it's, uh, they don't even need to do anything. You could like have that first email go out straight away going, happy Christmas, based on this, I've built this. Here you go. This is your Christmas present. No need to reply. No need to do anything. I'll email you again in January. Good luck. Have a wonderful time off. And that gets your name in their mind before Christmas. So I don't see there's much risk. And even if they don't read it, you can send that first email again that is like about the census. So you could almost have like do one straight away about the free resource, and then send the email. You've got the first one again with the census and the free resource in January when they've been back a few days, you know, a couple of days they've got on top of it. My instinct is always put yourself in their mind. And if you can deliver some value and deliver some fun and even say to them, like, if you want to inspire your students, send it to them before they go on their Christmas break. Listen to this exam study guide over Christmas if you're doing anything. I don't know if kids work at Christmas. I make it, It's been a long time since I was at school. Some do, Alan. Some don't. <laughs> some do. <laughs> but like, what does that sound to you? Because I'm always in the let's get on with this camp. Yeah, I, I know. And I, I, th I thought I would get pushback on this. Um <laughs> <laughs> Dang, I thought my little ploy of sending it now so it sends later would, would get me out of this one. Um, <laughs> what do you think about the free resource just to sort of put yourself top of mind again before Christmas? You're not even asking for anything. You're not even asking for a response. It's just, happy Christmas, here's something I want to give you. And then send the second email after Christmas. 
I could do that. The one of the reasons I'm hesitating is I've done. I did do quite a similar email, so I'd had in mind that it would be good to keep in touch with these people. So uh, okay. I haven't really written to them for eighteen months, but I did write to them six months ago, and that was basically the email I sent. You know, I've worked okay. hard on this free resource. There's lots of good stuff on the podcast. Share it with your students. Here you go. Let me know if you've you know anything else I can help with. I feel like I don't want to just become that guy that keeps popping into their inbox trying to big up my podcast. No, but it's been six months since, and six months is a long time. My thought is, is there something on the podcast that you have created over the last six months that tackles one of the major findings from your census that you can go back to them and go, okay, it's been six months since I've spoken to you. I actually think this would be really useful for your students over Christmas. Just wanted to say hi, give it to you. Happy Christmas. I've got plans to rerun the census in 2022. I'll contact you after Christmas. Look out for my email. That would make sense. And the answer is yes. Yeah, there is there is new stuff, uh, definitely, from from this term, this, this, this fall slash autumn season uh, on the podcast <laughs> that will be very, very relevant and helpful. So yeah, we could definitely do that. Um, would you then think about it becoming three emails? So one now yes. just saying, here's the free stuff, have a great Christmas. Then the second one is, do you want to be in the census again? Then the third one is, do you want to be um, in the app, in the, in the loop for the, for the app? Yeah. yeah, I think there's three perfect emails and you're actually then building connection, building value, you're connecting with them, you're keeping them up to date, you're promising them more study, more learning, and then offering them an opportunity to be in the trial of the app. I think that's a really positive series. We just need to stay in touch with them. Yeah, keep that keep that warm. Yeah, I think that sounds like a good plan. I like that. Okay, cool. So the the thing for everyone listening is stay in touch with people. And I am bad at this. I am not saying this from a place of, I am good at this. I'm saying this a place from, I need to do this as well. But if you've got a list of customers, if you've got people you want to do business with in the future, you need to find a way to stay in touch with them. And I don't really care how you do it, whether it's, a, I saw this article and thought of you, what's your thoughts on this? Here's something of value I've produced I don't really care how you do it, but find a way to stay in touch with people and add value to their world. And if you do that, when you come to need something from them, it's a warm introduction, not a, I've not really spoken to you for 18 months, but do you want to buy? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anything you can do to stay in touch, I think is valuable. And you produce great content, William. And it could be, here's the top blog article that your students need. And here is the top podcast. And based on what we found. I think that's just, just stay in touch. Everyone out there, email your customers, email the people you want to work with, ring them, stay in touch with them. Uh, now I will shut up. I'll mentor that. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I don't do it enough either. So the three things you wanted to talk about is what's in each email, the timing, and is it free or paid? I think we've covered the first two very well. How are you feeling about the final one? Yeah, so just for, for context, um, I kind of had an original plan that I'd be asking for a little bit of money for anyone that wanted to take part in the trial. Uh, the idea being that, you know, we'll take some money off you. You know, it's a, it's a good product. It's useful. It's a great resource. It'll help your students learn. We'll, you know, we'll take, it's a little bit experimental. So you're taking a little bit of a risk with us, but, you know, pay to be part of the trial. And then, you know, you'll be rewarded with, uh, you know, fabulous lifetime discount for the rest of eternity. 
um, to say thank you for supporting us so early. <laughs> and that felt quite important at a time where I didn't know I'd be able to partner with a developer in the way that I am doing when I thought that I'd have to reach into my bank account and pay some third-party developers to build a simple version of it to, to test out. Um, I'd be using the fees from the trial to hand over to the developers to build a, a, a the, the simple version for the trial. Now I've got a developer on board and I'm, there's, there's basically no out-of-pocket costs for development. I'm slightly getting cold feet again about whether I ask for money for the trial. Um, there's a few reasons, like partly, you know, I don't technically need it. It's all been sweat equity. Partly, I think a lot of schools are quite used to getting free trials for software and tools generally. Um, partly, it is quite experimental. They are taking, like, we are going to have, it is going to go wrong. It's going to be buggy. We're going to have to figure stuff out. Like, it's not a very clean customer experience. And partly, you know, as we were saying earlier, there's quite a lot of work on their side. You know, we won't have got it smooth and figured out at this point. They're going to have to like work with us a little bit to make it happen. And there's the, going to be the whole data piece, which will be a little bit more involved for the trial than when we're kind of up and running properly. You know, we're going to want to kind of ideally maybe talk to some of their students and like have a chat about how they're finding it. Talk to some of the teachers that are using it, how they're finding it. And you know, just basically a little bit more legwork for the school. All of which is making me feel increasingly awkward about charging them a fee to be part of this. So my question for you. And I come back to first principles of Rebel Business School every time is, do you know they would pay for something like this? Like, can you categorically say that the schools would invest money in something like this? If it works. Absolutely. If we can show that it works and if we can show that that impact on learning. A slightly mean way, but I think there is some truth in this, like a slightly mean way of thinking about how a school thinks is they have a fixed pot of money either if they're a private school that's come from parents or if they're a government-funded school that's come from the government. And they need to spend that money in a way which maximizes the things that schools get measured on. And more than anything else in this country, schools get measured on their exam grades. And there are other stuff that students care about, that parents care about, that teachers care about, that the government cares about as well. But like the easiest and cleanest metric and the one that gets the most attention, like it or not, is the exam, exam results. results. And if I can prove you know, you spend this much money you get this impact on your exam results. And it's the more most effective way you can spend that money to increase your exam results. Like schools like to spend money in ways that increase their exam results. <laughs> and if I can prove this is the most effective way to spend your money to increase your results, the thing's going to take care of itself. I think. <laughs> okay, cool. Because the whole point of asking for the money at the beginning is to know whether the customer is interested or not. If you know categorically they spend money on this, and from what you said, it feels really good, then we need to get the data. And I'm not one of the people that is against free trials. I used to give free trials of my presentation skills workshop. I used to give free samples of my time management workshop. I would drive to someone's building. I would run a half an hour session to get them excited, and then I would drive home again. And that when they see you do what you do, leads to customers. So I'm never averse to a free trial. What I am adverse to is going into debt and spending a load of money on those things. Yeah. Because that's risky. This, you're risking time. And I've always been comfortable risking my time. Like I will put my time on the line because I know I can do a good job. And I feel like you have confidence 
So I I personally would be leaning towards the way you've set this up with the two of you working on it together. There's no money going in. You can do the free trial without going into debt. I would lean on the case of, okay, let's give them the free trial. Let's work to get the data. But I would be very clear, this is not free in terms of, I need you to follow through on these items. There's expectations on both sides. And I am putting in all the development and all the money and you are putting in making sure the students use it, following up, teaching it in the lessons, all those bits. And I think that is super clear to have that upfront, including the cost. So the cost to the schools is the biology teacher needs to make sure like it comes up in the lessons. We need you to have mini segments, which I can help train you on how to deliver that the kids understand how to use it. And if all goes well, I would like to measure the stats and the results. I need your exam results and I'd like a testimonial at the end. That's the cost. And I think sometimes when we say the word free, it cheapens us. There is a cost to this. It's just not monetary. Uh, And I think that's a different conversation to have with them. So I am definitely not averse. I would would put it out there because you've got a decent stable income you've got some good money and this is an experiment and a trial that you are going to learn so much from that is going to inform all your conversations with schools and your entire business going forwards. So I'm like, go for it, do it is my general opinion. Yeah. I, I feel really comfortable with that. And I think that's a great way of framing it. It's, it's not, it, it's, it's monetarily free, but it's not, <laughs> there is a cost in terms of all these things that we expect of you and your time and the, the, the data and the testimony. I think that, yeah, I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah and we want to be very clear up front. And I think that clarity up front is actually very important because otherwise you go free trial and they go, yay. And yeah, then they go, yeah. oh no, this is a lot of work. Why did I say yes to this? And yeah. then you don't get your results. They don't get anything out of it. Yeah, I think it's a critical element. And for any of you listening to the podcast, it is fine to do free trials. It's very important to be clear with what you expect because you're not expecting money, but you're probably expecting something else. I agree. I agree. And just a thought that occurs actually just um, in the moment is I, I think it's important to emphasize that it won't always be free and it will be a paid product if it works. <laughs> you know, maybe one way I could drop that into the mix now is to say, you know, as a as an extra thank you for all the work that's involved in the trial. You don't need to do that. We're, you know, the schools that help us develop this at this point, you know, will you know, we'll give you ten percent off the 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 cost of the real thing. I don't think you need to do that. I think get them on board with this will improve your results. And you don't need to offer a discount in the future. Like there is enough that it they'll get less the about, value out of it. Yeah, it was less about feeling like I needed to offer the discount to get them to buy it, so much as it's a way using of saying that it as an excuse cost. to say yeah. this is going to cost money later, and as a way to kind of bring that up in the conversation now in kind of quite an authentic way that feels like I'm giving some value back to them. Maybe I like. I think schools are going to expect a piece of software is going to cost money in the future. Yeah. I don't think you're duping them by saying like the fact it is a free trial kind of says in essence that it's not going to be free in the future. (laughs) If that makes sense, like I feel like it's all embedded. And if someone is then surprised, it's like, well, it was a free trial. Like that's the whole clue is in that. And then they're surprised you want to charge them in the future. I don't think there's many of them that are going to be that naive that they think that yeah i'm just being extra careful in my case because i have 
this research project I did that was on the basis of you know a lot of schools took part in that for free, and I gave them a lot of data and value for free. And I had my reasons for doing that at the time. I just want to be really clear with them that you know I'm not the guy that just does really cool free stuff for them all the time. <laughs> um, well, look, maybe then it's just a question of when I'm taking them through the pitch of what the you know what the product is, and we might do a bit of a live demo. You know, I include in that you know this is what we're thinking in terms of pricing for the real thing. The trial is Love free, that. but this is what we're thinking for the the in life product, and that Love might that. stimulate some feedback, and we might learn some things about you know, pricing them at, at that point, which which could be helpful to inform our plan. Um, that's far better because you can stare them in the eyes on zoom when you do that pitch and you can see their response to the cost that's going to give you way more feedback than a random discount in an email and it's going to be much more valuable for you it sets their expectations and you can also say like i think this app will have a genuine impact on exam results it does take funds to update create develop and make this so it's going to be a paid app eventually that's what we're moving towards but i want to prove that it works before we do that that makes sense i like that excellent and then after all of that we evaluate the data and then phase three sell 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 (laughs) (laughs) so what a journey we have been on well I should say what a journey you've been on. I've just been sort of commenting from the sidelines. How are you feeling all about all of this, William? From the first email to now, how do you feel about the business and where you've come and been? Yeah, it's it's really interesting looking back at, on on the last three years. It feels like it's gone both quickly and slowly um, in, <laughs> in, in different ways. It's been, I haven't looked back on that email I sent you until we, we recorded this podcast. And looking back on it now, I think, blimey, I <laughs> That was bold. (laughs) I read it and I thought, wow, that is bold. I need to help this man. And I almost think, you know, you, you know, you you cocky little so-and-so to think, you know, you go into it and figure it all out with so little plan. Um, But on the other hand, that guy back in 2019, like, I, I, it was a way of, in a way, it's sort of giving, I'd kind of given myself the gift of all this time and runway to figure it out. And like, I had a little bit saved in the bank. I had some runway. I, I, I had tutoring. I could, you know, go off and, and really as kind of as much as I needed to kind of cover basic expenses as a tutor and like just creating all that time to just practice my craft and do all those hard yards in the early months in particular where you're just hustling and no one even notices and you know it's a great week when 200 people turn up on your blog because you got upvoted on reddit for something you shared there (laughs) you know just like you know i remember those days and just so like so tiny little results for so much work and then you gradually start to get some breakthroughs and you get some you know, proper paying clients. And, you know, then by 2022, I was thinking, you know, ready for these breakthroughs to be coming a bit more frequently. Like, I know what I'm doing. I feel I've got a good plan. I've got these systems. Why isn't this working? Why isn't this a bigger business? Why am I still a bit in kind of living on beans and rice mode? But, you know, that conversation we had, that that was the turning point. And, and, uh, you know, that did mark a, a bit of inflection where things did start to properly come together and all that that groundwork paid off you know all the things i'd been learning about you know seo and copywriting and just how to ask for the sale you know all started to come together and you know started delivering the results until now you know i feel like that 
that kind of business flywheel is 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 starting to turn away you know reasonably well and you know i'm enjoying what's going on in the present business is working well in the present and it's nice to be starting to invest you know for the future investing in more content for the blog investing in investing time in the in the in the app project which is is super exciting and then i guess on a more personal note you know starting to invest again in you know i know we've talked about financial independence on the on the podcast before you know i've recently started reinvesting into long term you know retirement savings after a long time of 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 hitting pause on that and that's great and i obviously hope to ramp that up, up even more as the business grows and also investing in kind of giving something back a little bit as well. Like one of the causes I personally care about a lot is the planet. And I've recently re enabled a little function for anyone out there who uses Stripe uh, to get paid. Um, Stripe has a really nice feature called Stripe Climate, where you can just tell it, you know, I want to give so much of a percent of every penny that crosses through Stripe to Stripe's climate fund that goes and buys low carbon um, and, and sort of carbon uh, carbon sequestering technology and, and planting forests and, and kind of decarbonization. You know, great fund backed by a lot of good research. Um, so you know, I, I just sort of went in and and, and set uh, set my percentage in that. Um, so you know, really nice position to, to kind of be in now and, and like just excited to see where it goes in the future. Like if this app thing doesn't work, then I'm I'm cool with that. You know, I'm still enjoying the coaching and the speaking and you know the blog will be doing well. And it's 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 life's life's good um and i just wanted to finish i think by saying i you know i owe a lot of that to, to you alan um you haven't been the only influence throughout this journey but you have been the most important and that's had a profound and very positive impact on life now as opposed to life this time three years ago um i wasn't in a bad place in my job but i'm just so grateful now for for where I am and all the all the freedoms that being an entrepreneur uh, and uh, affords, uh, all the fun that can be had and all the freedom that, that comes along with it. It's so yeah. No, thank you, William. You've sent shivers down my spine. I'm so glad it worked out. Uh, and you have been on a journey. You really have. And I guess for the audience listening, here are my three key takeaways from this conversation. The first is everything takes longer than you expect. <laughs> It just does. We all go into it optimistically thinking, I'll have 12 clients by next week if I call. And it always takes longer than you expect. And one of my learnings has been to start to think in decades, not a year, because we all overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in decade. And if you look at it like that, you can just plod along at a healthy pace, making things happen, and it will build and build and build. My second takeaway is, as always, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> the way to profitability is through sales. And the quicker you can learn about sales, become comfortable with sales, work out how you're going to ask for sales, the quicker you can build a profitable business. And the third is one of my favorite expressions. You can have anything you want in life if, asterisks, you help enough other people get what they want in life. And what William has done so well is he started by offering the census, he's offered value to the schools, he's offered value to the students, and he continues to go out into the marketplace and offer huge value and then does the very important piece at the end, which is asking for the cash. Because I've met a bunch of people over my time that go, oh, I've got your... You, I've got this, Alan. I'm going out there and offering value. They spend a year helping everyone else. They come back and go, it didn't work, Alan. I didn't earn anything. And my first question is, 
did you ask for the money? Did you ask for the sale? <laughs> and they say no. And we both go, oh, no. And I, that's one of the key bits, like adding value and then asking for the sale, which you've done so well. Closing message is one of the magic parts of entrepreneurship is the combination of financial independence and entrepreneurship. Because if you can start to set yourself up with financial independence, get yourself in a secure financial position, you can start to do incredible things with entrepreneurship and take more risks with your time rather than just having to make a dollar or a pound for this week's bills. So that magic combination of looking after your finances and building a business makes a huge difference in your life. So continue to learn about entrepreneurship, continue to learn about financial independence. And if you do those two things together, you'll be on the way to creating the life of your dreams. What an episode. William, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for being part of it. Thank you for having me again. It's been such fun. (laughs) And to everyone listening, get out there and get on with building that life. Good luck. See you on the next episode. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.